Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and today's guest is Marianne Roberts. Marianne has worked as a naturopath, a chef, a cooking teacher, but in her current incarnation, she's the author of the young adult novel, Sunny Side Up. Welcome, Marianne. Hi, Maggie. Thanks for, for having me on the show. Mary and I have been talking for quite a while. We've gone through the entire interview already, but we'll be happy to we'll repeat it for the listeners. Before we begin talking, though, um, can I just get you to read a small section of Sunny Side Up, just to give listeners a feel for Sunny's voice and for the book? Sure. Um, I'll start with it's, uh, the beginning of Chapter 2, so just to give you a bit of background on the context, um, Sunny, or Sunday as her proper name, is 11 and she's an only child who lives in a, with her a mother and her parents are very amicably divorced which sometimes has its downside um, but the long, of it, long and the short of it is she's everything's been peaceful and happy and she loves living at home with her mum and then suddenly um, her mother has a partner that looks like he might be moving in and he has two children and Sonny's not feeling so positive about um, the idea of being a blended family. So this is chapter two. Um, it's in the midst of a very, very hot um, spell in Melbourne summer. Um, so off we go. Chapter two. I know you can't blame everything on global warming, but it sure seemed as if it was around the time the massive heat wave came and the wind grew all mad and blustery and that my whole life got blown around in circles and whipped out of shape. It was as though we were fighting a war against high temperatures, keeping all our doors and windows closed during the day to stop the hotness stealing inside and smothering the last patches of cool. Even thinking about how hot it was makes me start to wilt and to wonder if I can continue with this story, but I will because I'm trying to become the sort of person who finishes what they start. After Christmas, Mum got into a lot of gardening at night, which is how I knew she was feeling positive about life. When she lets the veggies die and the grass get wild, I can tell she's sad and feels like giving up. But Mum had been pulling weeds and planting lettuces and singing songs and watering at night, so I knew she must be feeling up. She was still sneaking around the side of the house to smoke, though, and pretending she'd quit, which is the totally pathetic part of this story. There were days when it was perfect and summery, and days when it was a bit too hot, and then there were the 40-something degree days that made it an official heat wave. About after four days of totally mad temperatures, I started to wonder whether God might be actually bored and that maybe we should think about getting a place in Tasmania, somewhere inland and up high, so that we'd still have a home when Greenland melts and the sea levels rise, or if God gets extra bored and causes another tsunami. I was lying on the couch, waiting for Mum to get home. We'd planned to walk to the beach together after dinner, even though Willow couldn't come because dogs aren't allowed on the beach at night in December. I wanted to escape from the unbearableness of living in my own warm-blooded skin, so I closed my eyes and, I, and tried some creative visualisation techniques. That's when you imagine things exactly the way you want them, and then your life is just meant to turn out that way. Don't ask me why, but I visualised myself as a pink rubber hot water bottle lying flat on the racks inside an empty refrigerator. I could hear the gentle fridge hum as I became colder and colder from the outside in, the only problem was that imagining myself with cold blood led me to thinking about cold-bloodedness cold in general, and after a bit I was thinking of cold-bloodedness in particular. 
Pretty soon I'd forgotten about being a pink hot water bottle in the refrigerator and found myself thinking about the very thing I was absolutely and undeniably afraid of, the most sinister creatures of sneakiness and cold-bloodedness which, as far as I'm concerned, have no place of value on this earth. You guessed it, snakes. See, even the word snake doesn't sound like something you could trust. They're just so snaky. I closed my eyes very tightly and tried to focus on all the things that were the opposite of snakes so I could hot-foot it right off the topic. I thought about animals with fur and pouches and big paws, animals that roll around and never squirm or hiss, animals you can snuggle up to and ones that smell nice when they're asleep, animals with ears and cute button noses and fluffy parts that you can brush, animals that make you feel warm. But then I started feeling all warm on top of already feeling impossibly hot, so I had to open my eyes and abandon visualising completely. I stood up on the couch and jumped off as far as I could into the middle of the lounge room just in case my visualisation had backfired and actually created a snake or two and it was waiting underneath the couch to lurch at my ankle. I thumped into the laundry, snakes are scared of big vibrations, took off my t-shirt, wet it in the laundry tub, wrung it out and put it back on again. This is the best method of cooling down if you can't actually have a swim. I don't know why I'm so scared of snakes. I mean, they're just a tube with fangs and most of the time they're so scared of you they slink off when they hear, feel, you're coming. Only some of them chase you, like tiger snakes for instance. I think I better get off the topic now or I might be reminded of that old lady in Heidelberg who was innocently picking a passion fruit which she probably needed for a pavlova that she was making. She was a nice old lady, the sort with blue hair and a shopping buggy who wouldn't hurt anyone. And I could imagine her thinking pleasant old lady cakey thoughts as she plucked a passion fruit from the vine on the back fence, not knowing that it was the home of a mean old tiger snake who bit her fair and square on her thin veiny hand. And if it wasn't for her Jack Russell Terrier who barked and barked, as they do, until the neighbours came to see what all the fuss was about and noticed the old lady lying on the grass with just enough life left in her to tell them about the tube with fangs. If it wasn't for that incredibly loyal and yappy dog, she'd be daddy bums. I don't reckon Willow would be like that though. She'd probably catch the snake and throw it back on me, thinking it was a game of dog, snake and dying owner. See what I mean about the tangents? According to mum, it's because I'm an introvert. I should also mention that apart from being an introvert and an entrepreneur, I'm also an inventor, a poet, a dog trainer and part owner of Pizza A Go Girl, our deluxe wood-fired Friday night pizza delivery service. I also like learning about psychological theories. I used to be very good at keeping secrets, but have noticed lately that I'm getting worse. Oh, and I have the hugest collection of stripy toe socks and my favourite dessert is Bomb Alaska, even though I haven't actually tried it yet. Snakes are kind of relevant though because if they're not hiding under your couch they often live in holes and that summer was making me feel all holed up like an animal that needs to shelter all day. We'd been forced to become all indoorsy and not the type of indoors that has air conditioning either because mum and Carl say air conditioners add to the problems we've got going with greenhouse gas. I know you're thinking, I know you're probably thinking that going for walks with your mum at night would be a dead bore and that if I had a brother or a sister, I could be making prank calls or throwing rotten tomatoes at next door's roller blind. But I like going for walks with mum because of the conversations we have. It's true, we have really good ones when there's no one else to butt in. As long as the conversations don't involve Granny Carmeline, that is. Plus, I had arranged to meet Claude down at Elwood Beach because she had finally come back from visiting her grandparents in Queensland, who not only had a freezer in the garage full of wee spas, but also took her and Walter to the world three times. 
seriously, neither of my parents had ever taken me to see anything bigger than the giant worm, which is why I should report them to the kids' helpline. It was almost dark and the whole of the foreshore smelt of burnt chops. The air was cooler though and felt like a substance you could actually breathe with. There were people dotted all over the grass and the sand and bobbing up and down in the water as if they were desperately waiting for a rescue mission to take them to Antarctica. Where'd you say you'd meet Claude? asked Mum. Under the tower thingy, I said, pointing up to the top of the hill at Point Ormond, which was brown and dry and completely bald of grass. Poor Willow, said Mum. You'll have to give her a big walk in the morning before it gets too hot. I will, I said. Promise. I raced ahead of her up to the top of the hill because sometimes it's easier to run when hills are steep, plus it takes less time. From up top, I could see right over the city. The huge scorching sun was making the mirrored skyscrapers all orange as it swooped over the sea to the horizon. It was comforting up there because not only was it breezy, but I liked the way life feels from above, almost as if you're looking at a map. My favourite feeling, though, is when you lean your forehead on the inside of an aeroplane window and peer down at the earth below. Everything becomes minute and insignificant and trees look like florets of broccoli and your life starts to change shape and feel like a toy life in a board game and all your worries go away. That evening, from seat 44K of my imaginary aeroplane, I saw the beach as a big, swirling, paisley carpet. But I didn't think about it for too long because I saw Claude jogging towards me. How about we leave it there? That's great. Thank you. That that really gives us a feel for um, Sunny's distinctive voice. It's, yeah, um, and the weather. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, seat 44K, which I feel like I've been up to myself. <laughs> I think we all have a version of seat 44K. That's it. So tell tell me a bit more about Sunny. Um, you know, her voice is so real. And when you read it, you, you know, I, I really get the sense you almost sound like you're 11. Yes, <laughs> I, I a lot of people um, accuse me of, of being 11. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Sunny, I guess it's... Um, Sunny was a character that was constructed, as, as all characters are really, from a, a blend of um, partly, I guess, you know, my inner experience as, a, as an 11-year-old, which is still alive in me and obviously not too far below the surface. Um, and also... Um, kids around me at the t- at the time of writing the book, I was blessed to have a whole range of lovely, you know, ten, eleven, twelve year olds around me at the time, and all their friends, and privy to conversations and and um, getting first hand experience on you know how they see the world, and and then filtering that back through my own experience. And also, I, I think when you make characters, you you sometimes have characteristics of of parts of yourself. Um, that you you wish you were or or you, or you wish you weren't. So there's a compensatory um, aspect as well. I think as a child I was very shy, and although Sunny has um, elements of of that shyness, she's a lot closer to you know the version of myself that I wished I was as an 11 year old. I, I suppose. Mm. And um, the the last interview I did. Um was from somebody, it was an adult novel, but uh, it also had an 11-year-old hero in it. And he spoke at length, um, this is Aaron Lazar, he spoke at length about the, I guess, the importance of that particular age being on the cusp. Did, mm. did you choose 11 deliberately because it's such a, um, a sort of transition age? It wasn't necessarily a conscious choice. I was um, 
writing, um, experimenting with a whole whole range of styles. But I found that that age, and I'd written a novel before this as well, which is in my filing cabinet, but from a 10-year-old perspective. And I just found that, that for, for some reason that age had the most life in it for my writing at that, at that time um, and seemed to be more effortless. It seemed to be something that was a voice in me that had, had things to say that you know, all I had to really do was to sit down and harness it rather than you know, using any form of discipline to, to you know, sort of sit down and try and um, you know, write from, a, from an older perspective. So I really just um, went with where the life was at the time with my writing, and it, it happened to be um, with that age group. And you know, maybe I'll I'll write and write and write from that age group, and I, and I might start to grow. <laughs> I can feel that. <laughs> uh, I don't know how it works, but I I really just did surrender to you know what's the most dynamic um, writing I can do right now. It seems to be from this age ten, age eleven. So let's do that. Sure, and and yet I think a lot of your readers would like to um, see some more of Sunny, so I suppose she'll have to grow if you want to revisit her. <laughs> well, I'm actually working on a sequel, but um, it's I mean I remember with the Enid Blyton books that you know no one ever grew, and that idea does appeal to me. That um, I think definitely for this second Sunny book, she's only she's still eleven. <laughs> she she maybe grows a couple of months, but. Um, yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, she's. She's. I still got more of Sunny to write before before the um, voice grows. I think, and if it does um, grow up, it might not be in the same character. But um, as I said, I'm very in, in the present with it. So um, sticking with with where the life is at the moment, and yeah, definitely, there's a bit more of Sunny to come yet. Now, tell me how Sunnyside Up came about. You mentioned you have another um, novel in the drawer, um, so this obviously didn't burst out of thin air. I guess no novels really do. Yeah. Um, well, as I said, I, I had discovered probably a couple of years before that, that there was a lot of life in my writing from a 10-year-old perspective, and, and I wrote a novel that from, from that point of view and really enjoyed writing from the first person. Um, that was more... Uh, it was more of an autobiographical work, I guess, and I think that was a really important thing to do. I, I don't really think it had any, you know, real merit as far as um, a story to tell, but as as far as developing a voice, um, I think I wrote and wrote and wrote and, you know, whinged and whinged and whinged and um, got to sort of air a lot of a lot of my grievances about my brothers and family and you know parents and all that sort of thing from this young voice and. And I think that was really necessary to just get that all out and then could emerge, um, you know, a more of a fictional story um, and this new character, which, you know, wasn't me, but as I said, there's always parts of. Um, but I was really sitting down one day and, I, and it was in the context of a very, very hot um, Melbourne summer, which can be relentless. And... I, I really took that as as the beginning. It was it was like all right, well this it's hot. It's, it's impossibly impossibly hot, and pretty much just said to the universe or whatever you want to call it, I need two characters, and the names Sunny and Claude came into my head, and I just went went with that, and um, Sunny emerged, and yeah, she lived in I guess she was living in in that sort of Melbourne context that I was living in at the time, but. Um, 
she was 11 she was you know had a lot to say she was very happy about certain parts of her life and and um everything else was being challenged at the same time and it it really was just one of those beautiful creative processes where you know it, it wasn't work it wasn't you know i didn't need discipline and it was a joy to to sort of you know sit and harness that voice that was there and um you know wanting to really come out of me and and who do you imagine her listener is who is she writing to who is she speaking to is it yeah, a diary or a no, it's friend interesting, or? isn't it i think when i write um i really write to entertain myself <laughs> so there's yeah that me as an adult isn't necessarily thinking okay who's sunny writing to but I guess it, it, it does have a, a diary feel about it. Um, or, yeah, I think, I think she'd probably be reporting to, a, to someone her own age. Um, you know, maybe Claude, that sort of relationship where she's telling someone she knows very well all about and feels very comfortable with to the point where she can have gripes and complaints and also joys and sadnesses. Um, so yeah, I guess she's she's writing to someone from an anonymous person in her own age group. I I think I've never really thought of it like that before, but I but I suppose the appeal of that is for the reader who will probably be a, of a similar age. Um, you can almost imagine that it's putting the reader in that role of confidant, which is quite a nice place to be if mm. you're a fellow eleven year old. Yeah, and I think the um, the context of Sunny's life, um, you know, the, the the blended family is very common and. Um, there's a lot of kids nodding their heads, you know, going, oh, yeah, I know what it's like when, you know, my mum yells at me because I've left my, you know, running running shoes at my dad's. <laughs> and, you know, there's sort of complications of the adult life that, that, that the kids are sort of expected to um, adapt to. Um, you know, it's very common. Every, every, every second kid is sort of, you know, contending with this stuff. So, um, yeah, I think there would be would be an empathy from, from a lot of readers. Um, and also just, you know, that it's not necessarily, you know, Sunny's not necessarily complaining about that or her parents aren't at war with one another. It's it's really just a, a very modern um, modern context that I, I think is, is, you know, very common to a lot of Ted, kids. Tell me about the illustrations. Did you, you did them all yourself? The photographs? Yes. Yes, I did. Um, I've always been... Sorry? And the, the little drawings and, you know, just bits and pieces throughout the book. Yeah, I um, I can draw, but I haven't done any illustrations in this book. But um, we decided to go with, with photographs just by way of the way, of like a, a, a scrapbook almost. Um, but, you know, kids walk around with, with cameras and cameras in their phones and, you know, there's a lot of recording of life that, that goes on. So I really just wanted to... Um, use that as a device also to to really bring the reader into into um, you know give a very strong sense of place because it it isn't a fictional um, location you know it's a Melbourne seaside suburb and um, you know to really record that almost like if you were there on a holiday you'd take photos of, of bits and pieces but the finer details really were what interesting me were interesting me you know the insides of the the cutlery drawer and um, just to really flesh Sunny's world out as um, 
you know, to make it very real. So, um, yeah, so just little snapshots. They haven't, obviously, on the book that it's been printed on, you know, it's not really fine photographic quality, but it's they're just meant to be a little add-on to... And then there's a few little post-it notes and bits of her handwriting where she's written lists for, for you know, pizza-making and, um, again, it was just sort of... I wanted to get as... I'm into realism, I guess to say. It's not a fantasy novel, apart from the, um, you know, the, the imaginary aeroplane um, and Sunny's you know, internal fantasies where she goes off on her little tangents. Um, I wanted to write a book that was you know, very you know, gritty realism from, from an 11, 11-year-old's point of view. So, um, yeah, it came about that way. Did you have... Did you have all of those as part of your manuscript that you submitted or was that sort of a joint decision after the writing was finished? Yeah, it was, it was along the way. Um, I've always had, um, you know, be, had, I, I always record myself with my camera. I've always have a camera in my bag and I'm always, you know, finding details of, you know, how letterboxes look in different countries. You know, I find that fascinating. <laughs> it's like, oh, look how that letterbox is here, you know, as compared to the letterbox at home. So I'm always sort of taking photos of things that, you know, bring you right down into a, a vernacular. But um, we spoke about it at the beginning when, when um, with my publisher, when we decided early on what are we going to do visually. And, and I said, um, you know, I'd be, it, we could do photographs and they were really happy to go with that. So it just became, as I was writing, you know, some of them I, you know, were, were images that I already had, but others there were, you know, I had to go out on a photo shoot and go, okay, well, I need to get some pizza boxes on the back of a bicycle and, you know, tie it on with a, an ochre strap, which is in the text. So some of them were, you know, propped, and I had a fantastic day with some of my young friends um, making pizzas and. Um, you know, there's lots of photos of, you know, 10-year-olds' hands on pizza dough and cutting pizzas. And um, so, yeah, we had a bit of a, a photo shoot for that. But um, also and just the, yeah. Yeah, it sounds to me like you were certainly drawing on your chef experience with the pizza recipe. It sounded wonderful. Yeah, I think that was one of the, um, I mean, one of the things I was speaking about before with writing, how it, it can have a compensatory role. And I suppose bringing up my son... I'd always hoped that he would be more into, you know, being my little cooking assistant, but he never was. And, um, you know, it wasn't something I, it was a huge problem for me, but, you know, he just had some excuse like, I don't like the feeling of flour on my hands. <laughs> and I'm such a hands-on, you know, get your hands dirty sort of person. It would seem like, how did I produce this child that doesn't like the feeling of flour on his hands? So, um yeah, I guess in my perfect world as a mother, I may have had all sorts of ideas like that to be, you know, let's make pizzas and sell them and let's do this and let's do that. But the kids I had around me at the time weren't at all interested in my fantasies. So, so um, it came out in the book. Um, and obviously since then, some of them have gone, we should really do that. <laughs> um, but yes, it's, it's uh, look, I think food for children, it's, you know, one of the biggest things in their life. Um, it's something that, you know, they, they talk about a lot. I find that a lot of the conversations I'm having with kids that age, are, you know, it's what's for dinner. Oh, can we have this? You know, they're, they're very interested in, in food and um, they love to help. And so I think, you know, it's, it's something that's very accessible to kids that age. 
I mean, I don't think it's sure. no. we're all we're all reading food magazines, aren't we? That's true. Um, now, uh, when I read the book, my, my first instinct was that this is a book that would really appeal to girls, perhaps more so than boys. Mm. Um, that may be wrong, but do you feel like the gender divide is greater for teens than it is for adults in terms of their reading? Yeah, I think I, I think definitely for this age group um, it would be, and it's also you know definitely books are marketed that way. There's definitely a, a you know a, a girl market and a boy market and those assumptions that are made about what each market wants to read and you know boys generally are meant to be more into action and um or you know bum stories and girls have more of a capacity for um you know maybe more sensitive work or poetic work or stories that don't necessarily have have a racing sort of plot but um what i i have found that uh, I was speaking, speaking to a primary school teacher the other day and she said that a lot of boys are, are reading Sunny Side Up and I, I, I was quite surprised. Uh, I said, wow, what do they, um, you know, what are, what are they liking about it? <laughs> because it's it's sort of about two best friends, you know, the the, the, the grief of, um, of that girls go through when their, you know, best friend sort of grows up a little bit faster than they do and I, I don't know whether that's, a similar um, issue with with boys, but it certainly wasn't something I had in mind when I was writing. But she said that the boys sort of, uh, or whether it was just around the area that the book was set, she said they're really enjoying, you know, the sense of place side of it. You know, that the um, they know the beach and they know this and they know that, and so yeah, whether that is a generalised um, thing, but or whether it was just you know boys recognising you know landmarks in their area and wanting to read about that. But um, yeah, I do find that um, there is that gender divide, and um, it gets you know worked on both ends with publishers and with writers and parents. Yeah. But I suppose the serious issues that you cover, um, the idea of you know how we deal with things like adult duplicity or um, you know losing uh, somebody that we care about, or you know all of that sort of thing, or a best friend sort of losing interest in you and going, you know, because they're sort of starting to recognize the other sex. All of those are, you know, work across the gender. Yeah, yes, I think so. I think I just get so into my, you know, it's really a bit like method acting. I get when I'm writing from Sunny's point of view, I'm, you know, I really am her. So I, I, in that, I'm, I'm probably not really um, accommodating too much to boys. Um, or you know, thinking about the world from anyone's perspective except that that sort of one character, which uh, I think sort of happens when you're writing in the first person. But yeah, I agree that the issues are, are um, cross gender. Um, you know, honesty and grief, loss. You know, yeah, like you said, having the hypocritical parents and doing saying one thing, doing another. Um, I think boys and girls are living in a fairly chaotic adult, you know, world that. Um, they have to negotiate and make sense of. Um, mm. Mm. So we're, we've got two minutes left. <laughs> it always goes so quickly, um, even with our advanced chat. But um, can you tell me a little bit about um, where readers can go if they want to find out more about you or about um, your upcoming books, about Sunny Side Up, which is, I, I guess, just about to be released in the U.S., isn't it? Yes, it is. It's um, oh, actually not 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 just about in the US. In the UK, it's coming out in July, and the US it won't, it'll be out in February next year. But um, 
there will be for the UK book there there is going to be um, a blog facility where kids can actually um, go to a Sunny Hathaway site and and um, keep in touch there. Um, as far as Australia, the um, Alan and Unwin uh, website has has all my details on it, and um, I'm in the process of getting a site made that will cover all those things myself. But <laughs> been busy writing, um, and there'll be another book coming out here, a sequel um, in probably next year, June next year. So more adventures with Sunny. Um, Wonderful. So yeah, does that? Does that answer that question? It does, yes. I think it's Alan um, ampersand onion, unwin.com. Alan and unwin, yeah, www.alanandunwin.com.au, I think. And you can just go to, um, you know, key in the author's name or the or sunny side up and um, there's a site there that um, has information about the book and will link to other sites once I get organised. <laughs> That's wonderful. And the sequel's already written? I've just finished the first draft, uh, so that was a great process. And, um, yeah, that will go through various redrafting stages, as you know. And, yeah, so that that's definitely coming along um, and will be out in, in a year's time here, I'd say. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for, for your time, Marion, and I'm awfully sorry about the difficulties that we had at the beginning. Oh, that's all right. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It was a wonderful opportunity. It's a pleasure. Okay. Um, now, our next, our next guest is actually another young adult author and one whose book is really for boys. Oh. <laughs> More for boys, I think, than Sunnyside Up is for girls. Oh, that's uh, it's a good Nick contrast. Place. Who's that? It is. Nick Place. Um, oh, good, yes. Totally a boy a... book. Yes. Oh, well, fantastic. That's a good so blend. It'll be interesting to see. Yes, it'll be interesting to see what he has to say. That's a superhero adventure, uh, wish fulfillment in a Harry Potter sort of way. Yes. And yes. Um, after that, we're going swimming with crocodiles. So um, that's it. Thank you again, Mariam, and Lovely. thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Lovely. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.